are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Hey everybody, we're the Englards. I'm Patrick. I'm Vanessa. I'm Esme. <laughs> Esme thinks it's still Christmas. Uh, this teaching text is a paraphrase of Genesis 9, 20 through 27. Noah became a farmer and planted a vineyard. He drank wine made from his grapes. He drank so much that he became very sleepy and fell asleep before putting on his night clothes. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father like this and decided not to help him put on his pajamas. Ham told his brothers outside what he had seen. And Shem and Japheth and carried it on both their shoulders. They walked backwards into the tent and covered their father. They turned their faces away so they did not see their father without clothes. Noah was sleeping because of the wine. Later he woke up. Then he learned what his youngest son Ham had done to him. Noah was very disappointed and gave him consequences for his poor choices. This is the story of the Lord. Good morning, church. Uh, I just want to call attention to what you just saw there. Uh, There's an amazing amount of great things happening. First, we had the wonderful Inga Hartz uh, and Baby Esme uh, bringing us the story of the Lord today. But we've been doing this thing, if you haven't noticed over this series, that our teaching texts have come in the form of children's stories. Uh, And that's twofold. One, we have been going through the Genesis narratives to understand sin. And we thought, man, this would be really great to kind of make this juxtaposition of of the kind of innocence of these stories that we kind of remember. And yet there's this this deep kind of like really intense stuff that's happening actually underneath the surface. And so we were using, we've been using like the Jesus Storybook Bible. But today's text is actually Genesis 9. Uh, And in fact, I'm just going to give you a preview. It's about a man getting drunk and his son looking at him naked uh, and there being a curse. They didn't put that in the storybook Bible. (laughs) (laughs) So we had to kind of create a childhood version of the story. And the Englehearts did an amazing job of delivering that. And I was so thankful that we did with Sweet Esme because I don't know if an older child would have had a lot of questions that mom or dad may not have been prepared to answer. Um, But here we are. So we are in the series Contending with Death. We are unpacking and understanding sin and its role in our lives. And we're doing that, like I said, through examining the narratives of Genesis because it has so much to teach us about humanity, about the one who created us, and about sin and death as we are in and journeying through our Lenten season. Now, just to recap a bit, we started where the scriptures start, Genesis 1, and there's this verse 2 says, this dark and formless and empty void, and we have the Spirit of the Lord hovering, right? And then out of this kind of chaotic scene, the Lord speaks, and there goes this process of order. And so the chaos of the void becomes the order of a new created world, and it is full and teeming with life, and the Lord calls it tov meod, which means very, very good. Everything is in right relationship. 
But while everything is in right relationship here on the surface of the earth, in the cosmos, there is already something brewing that we call evil. See, we know before the creation of the earth in the heavenly realm where God lives with the angelic beings, there was one who it is, had ascribed to the kingdom, to the throne of God, and as a result was cast down. And so there is brokenness and evilness already existing in the cosmos. The snake is in the garden. Now, we defined evil as this. We called it the, the breaking of these right relationships, right? So everything is tov mayod, and yet there are fractures starting to form within the universe. It comes down into the garden where the first people are, and then evil gives birth to sin. When we talk about sin, what we're talking about is any human activity that breaks right relationships, right? So this is us, created beings, created to be in partnership with the triune God, in partnership with the land that we are called to, to cultivate and order, and we are foreboding that, that partnership. We are rejecting the God who created us, and instead we are actively participating with the forces of evil, those that would seek to break relationships. And so any activity that joins in that breaking of relationship we call sin. And this is both in the proactive and also in the apathetic. This is what we do uh, not intentionally and then also what we leave undone in our apathy and in our neglect. And what happens then is the sin is everywhere. Sin is endemic. We're contending with something that's like in our bones and in the air and all around us. And so the question that we started with is, what do you know of sin being all around you? Have you observed the effects of sin in your life and those around you, the very world itself? Then the next week we went on as we moved forward in the stories and we came to the story of Cain and Abel. And we saw that this, this evil that has given birth to sin doesn't just stay there. And so sin is breaking the relationships, but eventually there's this like zoom in and we see what happens with sin as it grows. So sin starts with this rejection of God, as we talked about. But this rejection of God also becomes a rejection of ourselves because we are created beings with this, this, this attachment to the one who created us. We find our fullness with God, not apart from God. And so when we reject him, we then lose sight and we become blind. And in our blind state, we start fires to try to see, to make our own way. But those fires that we start, they start to consume everything around us. And next thing we know, everything has been consumed. And this we call death. See, death is the result of broken relationships. It is that final severing. It is that final disconnect, the snap of that relationship. This is what James says in verse uh, 1, 14 through 15. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, sin is isolating. It's actually the undoing of what happened in the beginning where God told man, it is not good for you to be alone. So he creates a helpmate. He gives him relationship. 
But when sin enters and turns into death, all those relationships are broken and we find ourselves an island that we weren't meant to be. Maybe you know this. Maybe you have seen and known the effects of sin in your life and others and how debilitating and how isolating it becomes. But see, the thing about sin, it's not just about humans, right? It's not just about our relationships, but also it affects literally the very earth and the world around us. The earth groans, the scriptures say. We see when uh, Abel's innocent blood is spilled, that God says that the ground opened up its mouth to receive that blood. And then it cried out to God because it had been witness to a crime. It had been witness to a murder. The earth has some agency. And so we came into the story of the flood last week. And we talked about how this sin, what started with two people, now spread to a family, then spread to societies. And then eventually the recompense of that sin took its toll on the entire world, so much so that a pure and holy God could not be in the presence of sin. And so he sends the waters to wash this earth clean. And everything is washed away. Everything is displaced except for a small remnant of life, a family, Noah and his sons and their wives. And a few animals, some by two and some by seven, are crowded in this ark. And there is almost this resetting. See, sin is deforming. It's everywhere, it's isolating, it's deforming. We were called to be good shepherds of the earth, and yet we are the cause of its destruction, then and now. And in that deformation, we lose our purpose. We've lost our way. We lost the fullness of humanity, which was to be a caretaker of this earth, and yet we become a pillager and a plunderer of it. And so this week, we come into Genesis 9, and we pick up where we left off. See, that boat, it's like things kind of reset. You have to remember now, our Bibles start with Genesis. Genesis is not the first book. No one set out to actually write a Bible, right? You had a people, the Israelites, who eventually codified and wrote down and transcribed oral traditions and stories, And so sometime along uh, their tradition, they sat down and wrote these stories of the first things and the first people. But there's a thing that is happening as they're writing down, these themes are arising. These, These themes that God is using people to say, I want you to see what's happening here. And one of the things that God wants us to see and where we start with Genesis and why we are going through it from now until Easter is that there is a cycle. There is something happening. The story repeats. Sin, the thing about sin, it just doesn't stay where you put it. And we see this because the Lord wipes everything out. The flood is over. The ark rests. The people come out. And there's this gentle resetting of the world. Genesis 8, we come into it after the people have exited the ark, and God establishes peace again. Now, this is not the Tov Maod of Genesis 3. No, this is something kind of different. But in this moment, there is a truce. There is a peace. God says, you are my people. I love you. He again gives them purpose. Go out and multiply, be fruitful, and the land will submit to you. So there's that same uh, task. 
But now evil is not just in the cosmos. Evil is at the door. But God says, hey, I've given you this sign. I'll give you a rainbow to show that we are at peace. If you will just but enter again in relationship to me. And so we have this cycle kind of starts back over. And so we move from a garden to a vineyard. And this is where we pick up today. I'm going to read you our text. This comes from Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. It says this, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Now Ham was the father of Canaan. Make note of that. We'll come back to that. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. The cycle begins again from a garden to a vineyard, to a gardener, to a vine dresser. And then there comes a choice. Sin enters. Because God gives us these gifts, and all that he asks is that we treat them with the respect that he's called us to. And yet, once again, we take the gifts of God and we use them for our own pleasure. In Genesis 3, it says the first things that caused Eve to sin was that she saw the fruit that God had asked her to respect, to leave alone, to not touch. And it says that she saw that it was delightful and pleasing to the eye. And so she took and ate it because it was good to gain wisdom. And so she takes the gift of God and she uses it for her own pleasure. And this is the breaking. That is the moment that she partners with sin. Likewise, we come out of the ark. And there is peace with God and these people that he has found faithful. Noah, again, is sent to cultivate the land in the manner of Adam. And here he has the gifts of God, this wine, the fruit of his labor. Ecclesiastes tells us this. Uh, it says, it says uh, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. And so we have this gift, the gift of work, and then also the gift of eating and drinking. So here again, Noah has this gift, this fruit, the labor, the, the produce of his labor, but then he takes it, and he uses it for his own pleasure. He becomes drunk. Paul in Ephesians 5 tells us, do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Rather, partnering with, with wine and drink, find partnership with God. But Noah disobeys this, and sin again rears his ugly head. He takes his wine, he drinks too much, and it leaves him incapacitated, naked in his tent. And then again, just how we saw 
One person's sin becomes another person's sins, becomes a family sin. We see Noah's sin doesn't stay just to him, but it spreads as his son comes in and he sees his father naked. Now, the scriptures here are kind of ambiguous. We don't actually know exactly the nature of Ham's transgression. There's a lot of debate around it. Uh, some say that maybe it can be implied that Ham acted in some uh, incestuous sexual way towards his fathers. Others point to uh, other language in the scriptures that say that maybe this is kind of a general reference of, of Ham having sex with his mother and producing a son. Uh, there's a lot of different things, but this is what we know. From the text, we can see that, that Ham comes in, sees his father naked, and then he goes out and tells about it. He, at the very least, mocks his father. At the very worst, he does something altogether insidious to him. We don't know. But there is a breaking of the relationship there. And it is wicked. And so he tries to bring his brothers into it, but they resist. So they take a different route. They come in, they cover their father. But then Noah awakes. And now we find the full breaking of relationship as Noah establishes a curse upon his youngest son. And this is where we see something interesting. We talk about sin not staying where you put it. I don't know if you know, like, I think maybe we know about this. I hope so. You try to take that one little thing, and you're like, listen, it's Saturday. What's one more? We're having a good time. But the thing about that. Saturday becomes a reward for Friday, but the next thing you know, you have a really bad Tuesday, and so Monday starts to look a little bit like a Saturday, and you're like, you know, maybe like, we need one more tonight. And the next thing you know, every time you're kind of needing to unwind and relax, well, I know how to do that. And maybe it starts in your home, when you're alone, or amongst friends, but it doesn't just stay there. Next thing you know, it's out in public. Next thing you know, it's at that restaurant where we're having a party, and then you become the person that everybody's talking about the next day. And then relationships, it just spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. Some people turn out of it. Others turn into it. And before you know it, you can find yourself having lost everything you've known and loved. It masters us. There's uh, this concept about um, uh, in social psychology around like secure attachment. And as uh, we put children in homes with secure attachment, which means they have the uh, knowledge of parents that are consistent and stable, who love them and provide a nurturing environment, that they then grow on to be healthy people who know uh, the difference. They're not enmeshed with their parents. They have their own sense of agency. They can express their needs. And then when those needs are met, they can be satisfied. When those needs aren't met, they can find other healthy ways to attune to those needs and then move on towards stasis. So this is healthy. And where you have a healthy parent, you can have a healthy child. Where you have a healthy child, you eventually have healthy grandchildren. And it goes on and on and on. But what if the reverse is true? 
There's this uh, New York Times investigative writer who focuses on jails and crime and incarceration. His name is Fox Butterfield. And he wrote this book called In My Father's House, where he took a look at incarceration and recidivism and the nature of generational uh, incarceration and brokenness. And here's some of the things he found in his studies. He looked at uh, his main focus, I should say, was his one family, the Bogle family. And he traced their roots back all the way to the Civil War. And it turns out that from the Civil War, over 60 members of this family had been in prison. And almost to a person, each of the current members of that family still alive were all have been or were currently in jail. And so they had this cycle, this whole generational tree of brokenness. And that led him into a larger study around this, and he found in this famous study uh, from South London, uh, that was a longitudinal study, so it went from 1961 to 2001, and they observed, researchers observed 411 boys, and found that half of these kids that end up being incarcerated, half of these kids that grew up in the men that were ultimately convicted, were accounted for by 6% of the families. And two-thirds of all of them came from just 10% of the families. And so all of the crime was coming down to about 10% of these families, and the, and the fruit of those trees were all under this generational brokenness. And he says this in his book, the intergenerational transmission of violence was first documented in the 1940s when a husband and wife team at Harvard Law School found that two-thirds of boys in the Boston area sent by a court to a reformatory had a father who had been arrested. 45% also had a mother who had been arrested. And in 2007, the Justice Department's Bureau of Justice Statistics concluded that half of the roughly 800,000 parents behind bars have a close relative who have previously been incarcerated. Sin doesn't stay where you put it. It doesn't just stay with you. It goes to your children, and it goes to their children. Maybe you know this. Maybe you know the full well, the sins of your grandparents, and you've been wrestling with them. And maybe it's not the kind of sins that put you in jail, but it's still the kind of sins that leave you alone in one way or another, you know? In this text, we have this curse. And it's interesting because this curse comes from Noah, and it's not on Ham. So Ham looks at his father. Ham commits the sin, but it's Canaan. Ham's youngest son who gets the curse. Verse 24, when Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, his son's youngest son. The lowest of slaves will, all, will he be to all his brothers. Now, God doesn't weigh in on this curse right there in the passage. This is a curse of Noah to his sons, but we do know later in the scriptures that God makes his promise to his people, what you curse, I curse, what, what you bind, I bind, what you bless, I bless. And so here's what's interesting that we see, that this curse does persist and ultimately comes true. I want to pull this up for you. Uh, in the next, in Genesis uh, 10, when we move to the lineage of the sons of Noah, the scriptures say this. Uh, 
Okay, here we go. So we come into verse in the 10. Now, the sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And then we skip down a little bit and said, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Gigashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, Arvidites, Zimmerites, Hamathites, and other ites that are very hard to say. <laughs> I feel like in like a couple years in Williamsburg, some of these names are going to like have a revival. <laughs> But I want you to just focus on this. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites. Remember those names. These are all the lineages of Canaan. Now, fast forward, Exodus 3. The Israelites have been taken out of the land, uh, out of slavery. And this is what the Lord says to them in verses 7 through 8. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I heard them crying out because of the slave of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The sons of Canaan, become the slaves to the sons of Sham. The Israelites, Abraham, is a descendant of Sham. Actually, Jesus himself is a descendant of Sham. The one, remember, that Noah says in verse 26, praise be to Lord, the God of Sham. May Canaan be the slave of Sham. And so this doesn't come true. Canaan's sons become the slave of his brother's sons. This generational curse persists. Brokenness remains. There's a part of me, we're going through this, we're leading up to Holy Week, and there's like a part of me that wants to give um, like some like deep like resolution uh, to where we're going. Because like we're in this Lenten season, think about Lent, it's just like, it's this focus on death. And this is why we light the like Christ the King candle because it gets dark and it gets morbid and there's like this sense, this lurching forward of creation. Like we're, we're yearning from hope. Lent often has a time of fasting and it's to remind us that we have a need. And in this need, we need something to meet us. And so there's this desire to kind of shortcut the pain, to kind of jump to Easter. But I'm gonna to try to resist it. And to leave us kind of with these questions of sin. And so I wonder for you today as you sit here, have you reflected on how you have seen sin in your life? Have you seen it spread? Have you found it in you? Has it harmed your relationships? What do you know of the generational curses of sin? I grew up in a place with a lot of friends that um, didn't have fathers for one reason or another. And I've seen the devastating effects of that. Men longing for a sense of like purpose. 
longing to know what it actually means to be a man and having not had anyone to like give them that declaration. And because they haven't seen that, they then go on to produce that in others. And it's just this brokenness that kind of invades societies. And then we see the effects of that, right? Because now we're, we're like what Isaiah says, like, man, I'm a man of unclean lips in a land of a people of unclean lips. Brokenness is just everywhere. So what do we do? What hope is there? Well, we're almost there. We're almost there. But there is a light. And I think it's okay that we kind of touch on that. Like, the bank can start coming up because we're wrapping this up. But Ham sees his father naked, and he comes out and he calls his brother, just like Eve called to Adam, come and join me in my brokenness. And yet his brothers make a different choice. Sham and Japheth don't join in, but they resist. And as a result, they find blessing instead of curse. As we examine the sin in our lives, we find ourselves with the choice that we can go another way, even in an endemic world marred by sin, even with it in our bones, we can choose to resist. I love James 4 says this, submit yourselves then to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is why we are in Lent, because we are in the process of taking our joy and we're turning it into mourning. What James is saying here is take seriously what sin is and how it will kill you. Take seriously the effects of sin. Lament, grieve, well, express your need. Because if you do not, we heard in Genesis 4, when Cain slays his brother, but the scriptures say that the devil, the, the evil is crouching, sin is crouching at the door, seeking to devour you, but you must master it. Well, how do we master it? By humbling ourselves before the Lord. This is not about behavior modification, but you having to figure out how you're going to break 10, year, 10 generations of the stuff that's been happening in your life. The cycle of divorce. If you put the pressure of yourselves that like, gosh, my marriage has to be the one, you're not ready for that pressure. No marriage can stand up to that pressure. So the call is not to... to to gird up your loins and to fight this battle on your own. No, the, actually the call is to humble yourself in the Lord. Humble yourself in the Lord and he will lift you up. 
He will break the cycle. Say, I'm getting into Easter, man. <laughs> Let's stand up. <laughs> We're going to respond. We're going to do a couple things. A few of them you're cool with, one you're just not going to like, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> the ones you're cool with, we're going to start singing again. We're going we're gonna to give vocalizations to the groanings in our heart. We're going to give praise to the Lord because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, and we need his presence, and so we sing as an, as an invitation for him to come and dwell among us. And then we pray which is about aligning our hearts with his. And so there are going to be people who are going to start making their way even now, and they're going to be here to just pray with you, to speak words over you, to listen to the Lord on your behalf, and to help administer his peace. But then we have these rugs here. They're just simple rugs, Wayfair, you can buy them. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing in itself special about them. But something special happens when you get out of those chairs and come and just take a knee on them. And what happens is your body joins in what your heart is doing. And you realize that the peace that you're searching for, you need it not just, not just in your chest, but you need it in your knees, you need it in your hands, you need it in your feet. We need a whole gospel. And so we use our bodies to participate in that. And then here's the one you're not going to like. My introverts in the room. I'm very sorry. But it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be okay. Remember how I told you that the scriptures say that, that for the people of God, what we curse, he curses. And what we bless, he blesses. And so I wonder what it would look like if we just blessed one another. We did a passing of the peace. But what would it look like if we literally just blessed one another? And so here's what I want you to do, because remember, there's that resisting of the devil, and then there's that humbling yourself before the Lord. And this is something that he does. He helps kind of do, we get to join in. This is our work. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. No one's going to force you. If you don't want to do it, it's cool. But humor me. I wonder if you would just go to the person next to you and say this. First, we're going to confess. And would you say this? I confess that, I, that sin is in me. Would you just acknowledge it? I confess that sin is in me. That's all you got to say. And then what they're going to say back to you is they're going to say, be blessed knowing that Jesus saves. Okay, so we're going to say this together. I confess that sin is in me. I confess that sin is in me. That's, you, see, you've already done it once. Why not twice? Okay. And then you're going you're gonna, to, in response to that, that person, you're going to say, be blessed knowing that Jesus saves. Be blessed knowing that Jesus saves. That's it. So we're just going to do that for each other. And if you know the person, maybe you have a, a relationship with the person next to you. If you want to expound on that confession a little bit, there's something you need to get out of your chest. You can do that if it's safe and healthy, but I caution, let it be safe and healthy, right? But we do have these people up here that can, are, are standing ready. They can hear some confession. They can surround you with the resources we have available through this church to walk you through it. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to confess. We're going to bless one another. We're going to come and respond to what the Lord is doing. And then 
Nick is going to come up in a bit, and he's just going to lead us and help continue to usher what the Spirit is doing among us. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, Lord, in your mercy, would you hear our prayers? Lord, in your mercy, would you meet us in our sin? Lord, in your mercy, in your mercy, would you give us the strength to resist by resting in you? It's amazing that it takes so much courage to rest. Would you give us the courage to rest, Lord? Lord, in your mercy. Lord, hear our prayers. Okay, turn to somebody, confess, and be blessed. <laughs>